Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so glad that we are going to have a great, great Wednesday. We're going to have Salvation uh, Wednesday coming up in Hour 2. But we have a great show. Adam Weber is going to be with me. And also, it is my pleasure to welcome back to the program Dr. Tim Elmore. He is uh, he's really passionate about helping uh, and the next generation, uh, helping them become leaders in their schools and their communities and their careers. And he is the uh, CEO and founder of Growing Leaders. It's a best, it's a busy, best-selling author and, and speaker all over the world, although not lately because of COVID, of course, but uh, that's <laughs> Tim and everybody else. So uh, he is uh, my guest on the program. Tim, welcome back. Thank you, Bill. Great to be with you today. Thank you. You know, I'm a big fan of your work and I, I, I love what you're doing and the way you are encouraging young people to step up and become leaders, because, boy, do we need that. Oh, my goodness, yes. I mean, this whole year, I tend to summarize it with uh, pandemics, protests, and panic attacks. I love it, yeah. We we definitely are needing a, a new generation to step up and take their place with with good mental health and with great poise and great wisdom. So that's what we're after. Yeah, well, I definitely want to talk today about um, this the, this young generation right now in the midst of uh, of COVID. But I also, it caught my attention on your website, growingleaders.com, just for my listeners' sake, about artificial maturity in today's students. That really yeah. caught my attention. I don't know what that means, but I can't wait to find out. <laughs> Well, I, I realize it sounds very derogatory. Like, what is going on? Does this guy hate kids? No, I no, really not at don't. All. I know you don't. It's, well, it's um, here's here's what artificial maturity is about. It's a book I did uh, a few years back, but I was noticing because of the smart technology that our kids are being raised with, they are overexposed to information far earlier than they're ready. I mean, preschool kids are on tablets, you know. And yet they're underexposed to firsthand experiences far later than they're ready. Hmm. So past generations, you know, like my mom and dad or your mom and dad, you know, they had jobs at 16 or maybe earlier and just real life experience came early. So this overexposure to information but underexposure to firsthand experiences creates a child that might look mature but yet may not emotionally be ready for life itself. So a good example might be, Maybe there's eight. There's an eight-year-old little boy that can download the latest software and 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 knows all of his math tables. And you look at him and go, my my my, what a mature little boy. And my response might be, well, maybe, but maybe not. That same kid at 16 might not be able to look an adult in the eye and have a conversation. Oh, so true. So cognitively advanced, but emotionally and socially maybe behind. So when we looked at the data, we found out that indeed is happening, which may explain sometimes why we adults get so frustrated. They're smart as a whip, and yet we go, did you not know what to do in that situation? (laughs) So anyway, it's a book on how do we lead kids to where they're holistically mature when it's time to be mature. You know, Tim, that's so smart because the social disconnect for some kids is so real because 
You might yeah. come across a friend and he might have his young kids with them and they're maybe looking at their phones versus yeah, interacting yeah. with adults. And yeah. and that's that's never good. No, you're right. In fact, you can tell, can't you, the parents that have really trained their kids, and I, I mean that in a good way, you start look him in the eye, shake his hand, you know, to say yes, sir, or whatever, you know. And uh, some parents, I think, have just thrown up their hands and surrender and said, I, I can't do that. Others, I think, have gotten very intentional. And, of course, we're for intentionality. I think you can lovingly really equip your kids, not just in technology, but in life itself. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're after. Yeah. Tim, if the, this next generation are going to be leaders, what skills are they going to need to have? You know, when I think of you just mentioning yeah. all this screen time and all these abilities they have with technology, uh, what, are they, what are they learning about conflict management and other things like that? Yeah, that's, you just asked the $64,000 question right there. So here's something interesting. 90% uh, of the people in, their, people in their careers that are highly successful, they would have crossed the line that they're very successful in their careers, also are highly emotionally intelligent. And I don't think mm. that's a coincidence. So it pays to have a high IQ, of course, but I think it really pays to have a high EQ. Right. So and that and conflict management, for instance, really falls under that category. So one of the things we're doing at Growing Leaders is partnering with schools and churches and other organizations where kids are, and um, teaching social and emotional learning, uh, SEL, social emotional learning. So it's it's a way of instructing kids and in how do you uh, manage conflict? How do you uh, you know manage a relationship? Um, how do you self how do you manage your own emotions? That's a huge issue. Um, how do you empathize instead of bully? So I know those sounds so simple, but Bill, don't you and I both know adults that never learned that? Right. You know, they're bullies oh, at totally. 45 years old yeah. in the neighborhood. Right. So anyway, that's that's really we're trying to shore up that. We think reading, writing, arithmetic is certainly important, but boy, we want to train them in the rest of. I think a rest of a good education that often doesn't happen in school. Mm -hmm. Tim, say more about emotional skills. How are how are kids going to fully develop those emotional skills if if they live yeah. on, a, on a smartphone and they they get on Facebook and send nasty messages because they can? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you you put your finger on the on the issue. I think we all got ambushed by social media. I don't think we realized what it was going to do to our brains. So when I began to overlay some separate data, here's what I found out. As smart technology, and specifically social media, increased, empathy decreased. Yes. Oh, parallel. Uh, in fact, the University of Michigan has a sociology department that's doing some great, great research. And they tell us that college students' empathy levels have dropped 40% in 10 years. That's just scary to me. So more educated than ever, but but losing some of these soft skills that we need. So um, let me just throw out one thing. One, one of the things we try to do is um, we try to teach parents and teachers to roll the dice. So DICE is an acronym, D-I-C-E. Um, I think we need to train our kids with first letter D with a dilemma. So we need to stop teaching with purely with curriculum, or at least lead with curriculum. We need to lead with a dilemma. What's a real-life problem that we have in our, in our culture? Well, lack of empathy would be one. The letter I reminds us we need to go to an image then. Their, their natural native tongue is an image. They are screenagers. That's what they are, looking at Instagram and YouTube and Netflix. Right. So um, we've created 
curriculum that um, teaches a timeless principle. Uh, you and I would notice there are biblical principles that, that, that's taught with an image, much like Christ, like Christ taught with parables. So um, you have an image, and then because pictures are worth a thousand words, that leads to conversation. Now you have student engagement, so that's the C in DICE. So dilemma, image, conversation, and then the letter E is experience. It needs to lead to where we get up off our bottoms and we do something about what we know. So let me give you a quick illustration. I know I'm kind of dominating here, but no, I, I get excited you do, about this. By the way, Tim, okay, you're good, my guest. Good. I want you to do all the all well, the talking. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, when our two kids were younger, they're both adults now. Uh, when they were younger, we started talking about emotional intelligence and empathy, and you know, reading body language and those kinds of things. Well, both of our kids at like ages 12 and 8 thought, oh, yeah, we, we understand this. We got a handle on this. And my wife and I looked at each other and thought, oh, my gosh, no, you don't. <laughs> so we decided to um, – I started creating these images on empathy and so forth, like chess and checkers, one of our image images. In fact, let me, let me teach this real quick. Great. Um, chess and checkers have the same game board. So you might be tempted to think, oh, must be the same game. Well, you and I both know that is not true. Not when you all. play the game of checkers, all your pieces move alike, look alike, so you treat them all alike. In chess, you have to know what each piece can do. Each piece has a different strength. So it is with relationships. You can't play checkers with people. You need to know who's the bishop and who's the queen and who's the knight and, and connect with them based on who they are. Well, we began to teach this to our kids, and then we did an experiment. My wife and I decided to have a party with our adult friends over at our house, but we asked our kids to host the party. Well, at first they thought, oh, my gosh, this is so stupid. But you know what they learned? They learned how to host a party. They answered the door. Hi, <laughs> uh -huh. Mr. Johnson. Come on in. Have you met Mrs. Smith? Can I take your coat? Would you like some iced tea? And then afterwards we debriefed. Well, it was such a better lesson after the experience because they realized that's hard. It's hard to host people, even nice people. So um, I really believe we've got to roll the dice. We've got to start with a problem, a dilemma, lead with an image, start a conversation, and then have an experience. And I really think this next gen has great potential to lead the way if we just equip them in a language that they understand. Tim, when you, um, if you want to have a fully developed frontal lobe in your child, uh, you do yeah. need dilemmas that have problems, yeah. that have consequences that they have to live through. Because if you yeah. don't have them go live through the consequences, they're, they're going to they're gonna be slow to develop, aren't they? You're absolutely right. In fact, you know what happens. The amygdala in the middle of their brain does the fight or flight thing, whatever they don't know what to do, rather than go to logic and say, yeah, I, here's what I need to do. So you're absolutely right. We've got to say every decision you make has a per, some perks and some price tag. Right. Um, and I really build going back to artificial maturity, I think authentic maturity happens when we slowly give our kids autonomy and responsibility in direct proportion to one another. So five years old, a little bit of responsibility and a little bit of autonomy. Mm -hmm. 12 years old, a little bit more. 17 years old, a little bit more. But our problem, like you just hinted at, is when we give a teenager all kinds of autonomy without any responsibility or consequences – we 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 raise brats. I mean, I'm sorry about being so blunt, but we've got a brat on our hands, and it's our fault. So I really believe we can turn artificial maturity into authentic maturity if we do say, mm, there's a consequence there, and really let it happen. 
for sure. Yeah, so interesting. Dr. Tim Elmore is my guest. We're going to take a little break. When we come back, we'll continue this very interesting conversation on helping our kids today. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Dr. Tim Elmore as my guest. Tim's written a number of books and has got some great thinking on helping our kids uh, become more mature leaders. And boy, that's what every parent wants is their kids to uh, learn how to take responsibility, learn to have these fully developed soft social skills. That is such a gift if you can uh, help train a child up to acquire and to nurture these soft skills. Uh, it's a really big deal, especially when you want to try to get a job. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> In fact, when we talk to employers who yeah. hire recent graduates, they're begging for soft skills. They're, they have they're to going, we can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and far too often the kids learn the hard skills like geometry or or reading, but, and, and those are important for sure. But I think there, I, I don't know one employer that's asking about GPA on the job interview. Yeah. <laughs> they're not. They would much so, and here's some, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go, well, I, I'm sorry. I was just going to say the good news is that while IQ doesn't change a whole lot in our lifetime, EQ can be developed. And that's, I think, the primary role of a mom and dad. I really do. Yeah, because I, I would imagine, Tim, an employer wants someone with a, you know, a team player attitude and someone that's, yeah. that's open to feedback. I don't know if this generation wants feedback. Yeah, no, you're right, and I think we've created a little bit of a fragile spirit in many, not all for sure, but many. Um, Bill, i got to tell you a recent story I heard. Um, I was talking to a, an HR executive who hires people, and she said to me, Tim, I was sitting down with a recent college graduate for a job, and he was sitting there with his phone right there on the table – First of all, I would say, note to self, don't bring your phone to the job oh, interview. Wow. But the phone rang. He answered oh, no. the call. Oh, no. Yes. Answered the call and then said, just a minute, and looked at the, <laughs> the interview and said, can you step out of your office, please? I need to take this call. Oh, my. So needless to say, the interview did, ended right there. And she said, I'll tell you what, go ahead and take the call. We're done. Yeah. And he never got the job. But somebody should have trained him how to handle that kind of situation. So anyway. And if you have a, a strong work ethic and you know how to listen well, these are the kinds of soft skills I think employees are gobbling up all day long. No doubt about it. They're, they're very doable. This is not hard. And I'll tell you what, my son is out in California right now and he's looking for a job. He knows exactly what they're asking for. And um, so, yeah, the, the good news is this is not impossible to do. Uh, we just need to make sure we're limiting our phones and we're making sure that they're a servant, not a master in our lives. And, boy, that's that's what's really what's really hard for some of us in our families. Tim, the generation that grew up getting participation trophies, are they uh, do they struggle with feedback? Um, yeah, they often do. In fact, this is what I'm hearing from uh, employers, educators, even moms and dads are now beginning to acknowledge. Yeah, I, I can't even say anything. That might be criticism, constructive criticism without, you know, them saying, oh, my gosh, you're so mean. And I think we we should have gotten to them earlier with constructive criticism done with love and grace. But no doubt about it. Um, I, can I tell you another funny story? Oh, please. That you won't know whether to laugh or cry, Bill. I'll be honest okay. with you. So <laughs> I'm ready for both. My, 
Yes, exactly. So when my son was a late teen, he was a, a part of a community theater program. And he was one of the coaches because he had been an actor, so he was now a coach uh, to younger children who were, who were thespians. Well, one night after a competition, he comes home and he goes, Dad, you won't believe what the adults did. I said, try me. He said, well, Dad, we, at this competition, every child that walked through the door, as soon as they walked in the door, they got a gold medal hung around their neck. Just walk in the door. Here's a gold medal. Oh. So I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, they didn't even do anything yet, and they're now wearing you know, gold. So when they sat down, they, they said, now, kids, as you, as you do your, your competition, singing, dancing, and acting, here's the levels we're going to grade you on. Here's what you're going to get as prizes. The, the, the prizes were gold, high gold, and platinum. <laughs> gold was the lowest you can go. And then, get this, this, this is the part that floored me. Jonathan told me, Dad, he said, after the competition was over, everybody looked like Mr. T. You know, they had <laughs> gold medals all around their neck. The, the director of the competition said, now, moms and dads, thank you for coming tonight. If your child didn't win the award you wanted to get, they're on sale out in the lobby. Oh, my. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. So I'm thinking, now, we have created a problem here because this is not even remotely like the world they're about to graduate into, and it's our fault. So... Anyway, um, we got some work to do. Oh, no kidding. Let me ask you this. This is a little off topic, but I'm wondering your thoughts on the part that video games or virtual reality play in kids' lives. I mean, how do yeah. we show them that real life matters and real adventure awaits? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's going to have to be an intentional conversation because I bet you you and I both know some young people, especially males, that just get caught up in video games. Yeah, I know. And I have... I've studied this fairly deeply. There are some positive outcomes, eye-hand coordination and so problem-solving. But um, I, I think the key is this. I think we need to make sure that we put a limit on it. And, and I, this is just me. I think the limit ought to be two hours maximum a day. And here's why I say that. The, the research across the board says uh, a teenager that spends more than two hours on a screen – is more vulnerable to anxiety and depression and then diminished soft skills. Less than two hours a day, they're less vulnerable to these, these um, atrophies in their life. So um, I'm not saying it's magical. I'm just saying I think we need to put a, a boundary. We don't need to be mean-spirited, but I really think two hours is a great limit to make sure that uh, – and by the way, I'll tell you what. When we, when we were raising our kids in our house, we said um, – However many hours you have on a screen, you need that many hours face-to-face -face with, with first-hand contact with people. I wanted to make sure they were developed in both, both ways. They need to be good at technology. Their job's probably going to require it. Mm -hmm. But then I wanted them to be good face-to-face -face with people. And the good news is while my children certainly aren't perfect, they're both uh, really doing well with their EQ. And that's, that's what a dad really wants, I think. Tim, how do we address all the anxiousness this generation has? Wow. Well, and it's not it's limited clearly, to, to them. It's, it's us as well. That's right. You're right. In fact, the number one um, statement or question that we heard from educators when we started polling our, our partner schools during, during the pandemic was they said, how can I teach anxious students when I'm anxious myself? And we knew that was not a rhetorical question. They were begging for, for, for answers. Um, I, I, I think that... Um, Here's what I think 
kids really, really need, especially during uncertain times like like we're in right now, this COVID-19 pandemic. Number one, they need context from us adults. And by that, I simply mean um, they're going to be probably very anxious and very uncertain about their future. Good leaders always provide context. Let me give you the, 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 the big picture, almost like the box top. Let me show you the box top to the puzzle. Now you can know where your piece can be played. So that's just important. And by the way, part of that might be, hey, kids, let me remind you, there have been four pandemics over the last century. Um, by the way, I lived through two of them uh, <laughs> myself. So, you know, you mm-hmm. can give some content and they go, oh, my gosh, it's not the end of the world. We're going to make it. Yes. So context number one. The letter A is applications. I think what we lack in certainty, we can, we can make up for in clarity. And so applications says, here's some clear action steps you can take right now. Um, and I just think that just adds security, emotional security to a kid's life when they're anxious. Here's clear steps. And by the way, at the beginning, did we all say, wash your hands six times a day, stay six feet apart, wear a mask, you know, those kinds of things. Even though that sounds cliche, even that kind of clear direction mm-hmm. adds a little bit of, of security to their life. And then the last word is belief. Um, human beings thrive when someone they they believe is in authority, just speaks words of belief in them. You're going to be make it. You're going to do it. I, you have it in you. Um, I just think we cannot underestimate the power of speaking words of faith and belief in our kids. Now, one last thought. Those three words I just gave you, um, context, applications, and belief, spells the word cab. So this is going to be cheesy, but I tell myself every day as I lead my young team, I got to take a cab if I'm going to get to where I'm going. I got to take a cab. <laughs> if I'm gonna, so that reminds me, give them context, give them application. I love it. So anyway, that's kind of my, my uh, at least my action steps that I'm taking. Yeah. Tim, you've just given us some wonderful things to think about. And always, your wisdom is always brilliant. And I just enjoy you so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm honored to be with you, Bill. Yep. And the best thing I can do to, for our listeners is to send them to growingleaders.com. And they can learn more about what you do and uh, some of the books that are available. Absolutely. There's books available. And then there's even some free things. We we, um, made available five of our images that start conversations called Home Chats. People can download them for free and start conversations in their home with their kids that are meaningful and may just help during this pandemic. That's fantastic. And, of course... Grandparents can do that with their grandkids as well, can't yeah. they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No doubt about it. Tim, thank you so much for doing the show. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you, Bill. You bet. Dr. Tim Amen. Elmore has been my guest. You can go to growingleaders.com. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back.
tonight, we're going to get another chance to talk to Adam Weber. He was born Adam Weber and comes from a long line of Webers. And we're always glad to have him on the show. He's the pastor of, uh, lead pastor of Embrace Church in Sioux Falls. Adam, welcome. It's good, it's good, to, be, <laughs> it's good to be on. Thank yeah. you for, I, I, I was confused if I was, I, if I do, did come from Webers. That was like really, really helpful. I feel like this is Ancestry.com or something. <laughs> it is. I've got a saliva swab for you, so. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. We're going we're gonna to do a background check on you. Well, I'm a spitting image of my dad, so if you told me otherwise, I'd be like, you might want to redo that swab again. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. All right. You know, you've got your book coming out August 25th. I can't wait for it to be in my hands. But for now, it's called Love Has a Name, Learning to Love the Different, the Difficult, and Everyone Else. And I'm enjoying this chance to hear some of the stories in advance. And just chatting with you is always fun. So I always look forward to that, and I know our listeners do too. So nice to have you back. Well, I feel the exact same way. It's uh, We need to do this forever, even if there's nobody listening. <laughs> we can just, just even the two of us, we can do this, because so, I look forward to it every week. I couldn't agree anymore. Anyway, I think you got some stories to tell us today. I want to hear about Antonio. So Antonio. Antonio is one of my favorite humans on the earth. So Antonio is 21 years old. Uh, he attends my church. Antonio, if you're listening to this, I love you so much. But Antonio is 21 years old, but he kind of has the capacity right around a 10 or 11-year-old. And I, I first met Antonio as I was preaching. So I was preaching, and uh, I believe I was talking about something heavy like divorce or cancer when all of a sudden I began to hear someone laughing in the sanctuary. Now, I've preached through pretty much everything. Uh, I guess I haven't preached through, like, childbirth or anything like that. But, <laughs> I mean, I've, I can preach through a lot of things, but mm-hmm. it, caught me so, it caught me so off guard. I'm like, okay, that was a little weird. The next week came, again, I was talking about something heavy like cancer, like things that are not funny at all, and I began to hear laughter again. And so I just it tripped me up. After the, after the service, I went up to our pastor. I said, hey— this is kind of weird. Like, do you hear someone laughing? And he's like, you need to meet Antonio. So I, we went out in the entryway. He led me out there and I saw this, 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 this Antonio and um, Antonio, the closer we got, the more he started shaking. I mean, he was so excited. I was like, is Justin Bieber here or something? <laughs> like who, who's mm-hmm. behind me? And we got up to him, and I've never talked with someone who was so excited to talk with me. He was shaking, and I'm like, is your name Antonio? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, and you attend this church? Yes. I mean, he was like going crazy. And I'm like, well, I'm so excited to meet you. And every response he gave me was one-word answers. And yet the moment – I didn't even talk to him. The moment I, I came up to him, he loved me extravagantly, mm. just extravagantly loved me. He didn't care what anyone else in the room thought of how he was acting. I mean, he was shaking. He was so excited. He wasn't looking at his phone. He wasn't kind of scanning the room to see if there was someone more important. He was solely focused on me. Every word I spoke, he was excited. And I, it, so each week I began to look for Antonio, and he doesn't know this, but it became the highlight of my Sunday morning. Wow. I couldn't wait to see Antonio. Something I'll never forget, I was uh, driving downtown one day. I spotted Antonio. I wasn't thinking very well through this, and I yelled, Antonio! 
And he got so excited, he froze in the middle of an intersection and started looking for where it was coming from. And then he spotted me and he just started waving. And I'm like, okay, Antonio, you're going to hit by a car. Like, you need to keep going, keep going. But again, like Antonio loved me extravagantly. In the Bible, there's a woman who approaches Jesus. Jesus is at the house of a Pharisee uh, who's a kind of an important religious person, you know. And um, this woman comes up and ends up pouring perfume on Jesus' feet. And uh, we're told she's a certain immoral woman. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, she, you know, she's not – has no status uh, she would have been seen as someone who is actually not a someone, but a piece of property. And yet she comes and she begins to pour this expensive oil on Jesus' feet, this extravagant thing. Well, the Pharisee is frustrated. He's like, okay, can she just go? Like, this is kind of a scandal that this woman is like doing this first off, not to mention this piece of prop. Can she just go away? And Jesus basically says, she's the most important person like she like she's actually the vip and what she's doing is beautiful and he actually ends up saying any time that i'm spoke of her name will be mentioned wow. like she's that that important back to antonio um throughout the years we've had a couple of people who have said like hey it's kind of embarrassing when he laughs and stuff and it's kind of inappropriate and i'm really trying to hear the message can you like tell him to quiet down a little bit and what, what I've thought oftentimes is maybe the weeks that he's maybe particularly loud, maybe that week he's actually the pastor and I'm not. <laughs> you know, and and, and it's, it's like maybe that week it's like maybe he's Jesus in our midst and mm-hmm. actually the one that we need, we need to hear from is Antonio himself. Because I think, honestly, uh, if Jesus showed up on a Sunday morning at Embrace, he'd maybe wave at me and say, Pastor, I'll maybe talk to you in a few minutes, and he'd wave to some other people. I think the very first person he'd seek out is Antonio. Mm. And he and Antonio, I have no doubt, would be so excited to meet Jesus and would be waving. And so when I, when I think about a love that is extravagant, similar to this woman that's pouring this perfume on Jesus' feet, I can't think about and I can't like help but think about Antonio. And um, even right now, like I just can't I can't stop smiling because in a world that's so distracted. In a world that's constantly looking for the next step on like, ah, what can you do for me? Like if I hang out with you, will it help my status or lower my status? Antonio, he doesn't care about any of that. He just looks at the person right in front of him and loves them extravagantly. I, I feel like I have so much to learn from him. Adam, it just sounds amazing. And, and his little focus is just so on uh, you at the time and he's so excited and it's just so amazing this extravagant love you speak of and this is what jesus offers us as well and i think of this woman with the perfume that was a nest egg that was not something she picked up at, at the at you know at at the corner store this is like her inheritance this this important valuable bottle of perfume it's yes it's a love that doesn't hold back anything right you know there's there's no like like no holding back, it's it's our our everything, and and Jesus for every single one of us, not just this woman and, and Antonio, but Jesus asked that we'd do the same to the people around us, that we'd show other people around us, people who may seem like an annoyance, or people who it's like, can you just go away because this is we're more important here. Jesus asks us and challenges us and calls us to love people in that way. Um, but, but even greater than loving others in that way, that's exactly the kind of love Jesus is looking for from us. 
He, yeah. He's like, I'm, I, I'm wanting you, and I, I, I'm like a fine pearl that's buried in a, in a farm that's w- worth selling everything you have to go and buy. Like that's that's like to not hold anything back, but to bring your most expensive perfume and lay it at my feet to love me extravagantly. And 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 really for us, when it comes to loving Jesus in that way, that's where we find everything we're looking for in life. That's where we find joy. That's where we find peace. That's why we're, that's where we find everything we're ultimately searching for is when we begin to extravagantly love Jesus, where it's like, Jesus, here's everything. Not, not 50, 50, this isn't a business deal or 51%. And I'll, I'll, you know, you get 49 and I'll get 51%. So I still have control. He's not looking for a business transaction. Instead, he's saying, I'm looking for 100. I'm looking for your heart. I'm looking for your soul. I'm looking for everything that you are. So Adam, what stops us from, pouring out this kind of love are are we afraid are we is that are we uncomfortable are we just selfish what is it i think it's maybe a combination of a bunch of different things i think first off there is fear in a lot of us that maybe what we have uh isn't enough or Mm -hmm. what we have or what we have to offer i mean i just picture this woman uh, who's been looked down upon by anybody who's religious at this time and you, by seeing that, you're like, gosh, I am nothing. Like, who am I? Like, mm-hmm. I can't even go. I can't even go into the place of worship because I'm not seen as a clean person because of my past and my actions. And so I, I think that for a bunch of us, maybe we feel like what I have is nothing. It's particularly in contrast to what everybody else has. Like that person, they have it together, and what they're doing and the gift they have to offer is so much better than my gift. I'm I'm so grateful God doesn't compare us to what everybody else brings. Mm-hmm. Instead, he's looking at instead he's looking at what we have to offer, and that's all he wants from us is what we have. And so I think part of it's fear. The other part of it's maybe maybe fear of missing out, like almost FOMO a little bit of like, sure. gosh, if I give him everything, like will uh, will, will I be left out? Like I kind of have a good thing going here. Like I kind of like this or the only thing I have is this one thing over here. And so God, you're asking me to give my one thing that I have. Cause I don't have much in life. Like, again, that might be the, the range and spectrum of people listening either right now. And, and yet again, what we find in Jesus is better than anything we'll ever find elsewhere. Mm-hmm. He wants our, he wants our everything, not because he wants to hoard it against us or, or, or be, have a, a let us have a miserable life. Instead, he's like, no, I've come. One of the best verses in the Bible, I've come to give life and offer life abundantly. He's, he's, he's doing it. He's asking for everything because he wants us to have everything in him. Uh, the kind of the, kind of the, the, you maybe, maybe heard if I have nothing but Jesus, I have everything. Mm -hmm. If I have everything but Jesus, I have nothing. That's, that's so true. It's like, Without you, Jesus, I have nothing. Even this weekend, I think I posted it online. We had just an awesome day. We we spent the day um, with my wife's family on the lake. Beautiful weather. I mean, it was just perfect. And yet, when I climbed into bed at the end of the day, the only thing I could find myself saying is, "Jesus, I'm just so thankful for you." Like this, this was such a wonderful day. But when it comes down to it, at the end, what I'm most thankful for is you. I'm thankful for who you are. I'm thankful for who you say I am. I'm thankful for your joy, your peace, the promises found in you. 
I'm so thankful that when everything in life is changing, you're the one thing that's constant and forever the same. When we give him everything, uh, that's when we actually find everything we're searching for. Boy, Adam, you're keeping it simple. I love this. No, I'm serious. I mean, what a beautiful heart of gratitude you had when you climbed into into bed that night after really a wonderful day. Well, it's um, if uh, God tells us, Jesus says to have a childlike faith. I'm good in that category. (laughs) Yeah, like it, it just as far as like it's just true. I I don't know what it is, but the moment I'm not walking with Jesus, like the moment I'm not walking with Him, I'm restless. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm unsatisfied. I, I, I become focused on myself, which is just not a good thing. And, um, and so it's just like moment to moment, Jesus, I, I, don't, I don't just want to be with you. I need to be with you. Yeah. I, I, met, with, I met with a guy earlier this, t- today, and he, he said, I'm trying to pray like without ceasing. Like, what does that look like? And I'm like, well, if you figure that out, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> but I, I just said, he just said, like, do you like what? So what does it look like throughout the day? And I just said, really it's just conversational like just i mean it's it's just as if jesus is walking with me you know god thank you so much for that that's just wonderful oh god he's, I, i'm so thankful that you're faithful even when i'm unfaithful you're faithful god and gosh the sunrise this morning was just gorgeous what an amazing creator you are yeah. and 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 I, I when you have that connection with god which is a work in progress for for all of us i'm in line when it comes to work in progress um, it, again, when we, when we offer everything to God, that's when we find everything we're searching for. That's beautiful. Pastor Adam Weber is my guest. He is my favorite Weber from the Weber clan. Uh, we're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back with lots more. Adam's still on the line? I think so. Oh, good. Adam, are you there? <laughs> I, I think so. Oh, good. Oops. Playing some jam and party music to yeah. lead into it. Yeah. I was hoping he yeah, was there. I was, I was like, is this like a dance radio station? Like I'm supposed <laughs> to dance as I was yeah. Well, uh, but getting back to business at hand. Because <laughs> nobody wants to dance. Nobody wants to dance. I don't do any kind of dancing that involves my body moving. Okay, let me well, ask they, you this. They say it. Oh, I was told I, I was I was told that I have a perfect dance moves for radio is what I nice. just told me that nice so I'm I'm ready I'm ready to go when you need me all right now your book coming out August 25 love has a name learning to love the different the difficult than everyone else I think you got another story for us about uh, Travis and Tyler I do Travis and Tyler uh, are my two basically my two best friends that are not family members. Two people that I love. One is a realtor. Um, he's been a realtor for, for years. Um, the other, it was my very first full-time hire at the church. So two people that I've known for a long, long time, Tyler and I, we grab coffee once a month. Years ago, right when I first started the church, he reached out and, and, and um, g- grabbed coffee with me, and we've been doing it since. A lot of mornings on our way to work, uh, he'll pray for me and I'll pray for him. We'll call on our way there put ourselves on speakerphone and just pray for each other. So that's kind of the friendship we have. Uh, Two years ago, though, I went through really, for me, the hardest season of my life. Uh, I had to make 
a hard leadership decision, which is was not a popular thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as a result, had had quite a few people uh, not a fan of my decision, and it ended up walking, uh, really walking out of my life. Um, as a high people pleaser, it was the worst thing you could do to to me. Uh, I, I probably, to a negative extent, try to people please, people please. So I had kind of a small exodus of people in my life. Um, and Tyler and Travis, during that time, they carried me to Jesus. That's the best way I can put it, is uh, they, they just showed up um, through phone calls. I mean, they would pray for me when I felt like I couldn't pray a word. Uh, they would sit with me. They wouldn't tell me how to feel. They would just listen to me. They'd be, they were a safe place to share the good, bad, and otherwise. Um, and when I think about two people who stayed when everyone else leaves, when everyone left, for me, that was Tyler and, and Travis. And one of my favorite stories, it's always been one of my favorite stories in the Bible, is the story of this paralyzed man who um, is being carried on a mat by four of his friends. And they get to the house where Jesus is at, and the crowd is so full that they can't get in uh, in the room. And so what they end up doing is they bring their friend up on on top of the roof. They They dig a hole, and they lower him down before Jesus. And uh, one of the coolest things about the story, Jesus begins to address the paralyzed man. And he says, basically he says, your friend's faith has made you well. And I I look at that, that's just crazy. And I, I look at that, first off, there's a crowd of people, and yet there's only four people who are helping the man. And oftentimes in life, we'll feel like we, we might even be standing in a crowd of people, and yet it feels like we're alone. I don't know mm-hmm. if anybody listens ever felt that way. It's like I, I have you know 2,000 Facebook friends, but I don't have one friend that I can call right now when I really need someone just to pray for me. I, I, I know all these people, and I have all these family members, but I don't have one person that I can reach out to right now that will point me back to Jesus. Well, for, for me, that was Tyler and, and Travis. Again, they, they showed up. They prayed for me. They, they stood by my side publicly and also privately. Uh, they, they helped me take the next step towards Jesus. And when I couldn't walk myself and when I couldn't get myself to Jesus, they physically carried me hmm. in the most tangible way to get, get, them to, get me to them. And um, again, love stays when everyone else leaves. And, and more than anyone, more than even the four friends that carried that paralyzed man to Jesus— that is Jesus. When everyone else leaves uh, at our rock bottom moment, whether it was our fault or the fault of someone else, whether we're, you know, like we've made a kind of a public disaster of something, that is Jesus. I mean, in our lowest moments, when we're most broken, instead of walking away from us, Jesus gets closer to us. Yeah, that's, that's a great reminder. It sounds like these two guys... Um... You know, men usually want to try to fix stuff and offer advice, and they showed up, suited up, showed up, and shut up. He did. That's that's actually putting it perfectly. And I, I think for for us, so if we're the friend, if we're one of the four friends on the mat, if mm-hmm. we have a friend, oftentimes I'm guilty of this too, and I, I don't know if this is just a male thing or a human thing. We love to try to fix other people's problems. And so a lot of times we'll have a friend or a loved one go through this horrible thing, and we'll just immediately start fixing, 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 fixing. And these two friends, for me, are the two most solid biblical followers of Jesus in my life. 
And yet they didn't try to fix anything. They just listened. And they encouraged. And they asked, hey, what can I do for you? Again, they helped me after some time, began to see me like, hey, I think this is a step. This is a step. This is a step, Adam. Mm -hmm. But they didn't didn't start there. And I would, they, what, I, what I love about them, and it's true of the heart of God, they, they let me kind of share unfiltered in front of them. Nice. And God is the same way. I think oftentimes we approach God and we doll up our words, or we have friends that we feel like we can't be genuinely honest with. And, and we shouldn't do that with a group of friends. We shouldn't do that with anybody. But to have one or two people in our lives who love us, and more than that, they love Jesus that we can just share with and just be ugly with, honestly, just saying, Hey, this is what I'm feeling right now. There's nothing greater than having that. And again, ultimately we find that in Jesus, but they just showed up and they really did just kind of shut up and just listen, just like you said. Yeah. Do these guys rent out? They, they should. Uh, it's, well, it's kind of, well, it's kind of funny. One is a pastor. Okay. And I was actually just, I was just on the phone with him right before this phone call and he was actually asking for some advice on a pastor situation and somebody going through a hard thing. Um, the other again is a realtor. And I've told him so many times I say, I've told him, Tyler, uh, I know that you're by title, you're a realtor and you're a very successful one at that. But I just want you to know, uh, the greater call that God has on your life is you're a pastor. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, that what's, what's so neat about that for all of us, he's actually now just finished seminary even though he has no plans of going to work at a church. And they're all also just, there's no need to go to seminary necessarily unless you feel called. But what I just want to encourage people who are listening right now, I'm guessing there's some of them who are missionaries and pastors, mm-hmm. but specifically I, specifically, I just want to talk to someone who's not working at a church right now. I just want to tell you, like, you are an ambassador of Christ. And we're a part of the priesthood of all believers, which, which means basically in many senses, when we begin to follow Jesus— we begin to pastor people. It might, it might only be a couple of people that we pastor. It might just be our, you know, our, our family, our kids. It might be a friend who, who started following Jesus a little, uh, little later after we started following Jesus. But the moment we begin to follow Jesus, we become pastors. And um, so I just even want to speak that over someone who's listening, specifically those people who have been following Jesus for, for five years, for 10 years. Uh, you are a pastor. And so, God, would you just declare, you commission us all, you send us out to be pastors, just like my realtor friend Tyler is a pastor. And when we begin to live into that, because oftentimes it's like, gosh, I want to be used by God. I, I want to I have ministry. I want to I make an internal difference. What I would say is God has placed you right where you are. Mm-hmm. And maybe some of you are called to full-time ministry and you need to go work at a church but but more than that, like right where you are, God is calling you to be a pastor at your workplace, on your on your block, with your group of friends. Uh, and really, you don't have to even declare that. That might actually be kind of weird to start telling your friends, I'm actually a pastor. They're like, oh, what church are you at? <laughs> so it might, it, might, it might not be something you need to shout from the rooftops. Yeah. But when you, begin to, when you begin to live out Jesus, people will begin to approach you like a pastor. Actually, that young fellow that I was talking about that I met with earlier today who was asking me how to pray, uh, he said, people have started to find out that I got baptized last year. And, uh, you know, every so often I'll, I'll post an encouraging word about God. And now all of a sudden I'm having friends of mine that are asking me, hey, can you tell me about that Bible verse that you mentioned? Like, hey, can you tell me about baptism? He, I, he's becoming a, a pastor, uh, whether he has the title or not. Well, that's awesome. And 
if I can make one observation, Adam, is your friends, they were comfortable with your uncomfortableness. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I'll never forget, to share candidly, I'll never forget uh, my, my friend Travis. It was probably at one of my low moments a couple of summers ago. I just shared all the ugliness inside me, just with him. It wasn't at him. It was mm-hmm. just with him. Yeah. And I, I got done. It was quiet. I had cried heavily. And I said, and now you probably think less of me. And he said, no, actually, Adam, I've been wondering when that was all going to come out of you. Wow. Because I've, I've seen it, and I don't know how you've been able to carry it this long. And so thank you for trusting me with it. It was the opposite of being condemned. Yeah. And that, in that moment, I felt so loved. Adam, I always feel loved when I talk to you. Thank you so much for being on the program today, and I'll, I'll look forward to our next visit. I can't wait. Thanks. Adam Weber's been my guest. His new book coming out end of the next month is Love Has a Name, Learning to Love the Different, the Difficult, and everyone else. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.